excited that we haven't met in person because sometimes those make for the best conversations. Like mm-hmm. a conversation will just go anywhere. Um, but I first want to tell people that the way I met you or spoke to you was on Facebook. Something from the Neptune Township page popped up that caught my eye. And I believe it was your mom mm-hmm. who wrote a post on it about a book that you came out with. And there was a whole story behind it. I think people that are listening are probably going to realize I, I love authors. But it's because the stories behind their books and then the history behind that to me is really fascinating and does make great yeah. conversations. Although I don't only just talk to authors, but I do, I speak to a lot of authors. So um, she mentioned your book, Project Unhoused. Mm-hmm. And I am going to let you tell the story because I have told the story to everyone in my family and they just kind of look at me and they go, what? I go, I know. Like this, this like just fell into my lap like a gift because I, well, I'm not gonna say anymore. I want you to tell everybody your whole name. I want you to tell everybody about everything, all, all of this, all the things that I'm, I'm gonna love listening to the story again. Oh, and <laughs> by the you way, so you're much. how old? I'm 17. He is 17 years old. Thank you very much. Okay, so so this is going to really make it interesting. This is why everybody has to listen. (laughs) Hello, everyone. (laughs) My name is Zach Levy. I'm a senior at High Technology High School. And um, about, I guess, 15 months ago now, I started Project Unhoused to start really diving into the the stories of people who became homeless, trying to understand from a more human lens um, through actual conversations and interviews how they became homeless, not just looking at a... um, a very focused lens at uh, the last thing that happened. So whether it be drugs, that eventually was the final straw, looking into their entire life story from um, their upbringing until they eventually became homeless, trying to figure out what sort of common threads I could find Mm -hmm. so that I could try to fight this issue in a more effective way. And what sparked that? Yeah, so I had an uh, an interesting encounter where me and my father were at a 7-Eleven and there was someone who just like jumped in front of us in line. She was maybe 18, 19, a few years older than me at the time. I was 16 at the time. And she was clearly homeless. She couldn't afford the drink that she was going to buy. She was like fishing through her pockets, clearly didn't have the money. So my father stepped in and paid for her. It was just like a shock to me how someone at that age could end up in a situation like that. I just, right. I just couldn't understand. So I started asking questions. I started doing research on my own, on my computer. And I found that there, there's answers online, but they focus on like the last thing. They don't take into consideration the whole story. Okay. Um, it's a questionnaire with someone where you don't get to really learn about their lives and um, what went wrong. Right. <laughs> right. Besides for the last thing. Did you now? Did you? I know I didn't ask you this question. Did you have a little bit of a conversation with her, or did, did she? Not. You did not. You just no. As soon as my dad paid for her drink, she bolted from the store. We did, saw her outside afterwards, okay. but uh, we didn't approach her. Did you talk to your dad about it? Like, did yeah. you? Did he know right there and then, like, that you had a conversation and this was could be something that you wanted to learn more about? Yeah. So we spoke a little bit as we were going home afterwards or I don't remember the exact situation, wherever we were going. Um, I won't hold you to it. (laughs) I won't get the fact checkers, I promise. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, we spoke a little bit about it, but that night at dinner I really pitched the idea to my my parents, saying Mm -hmm. how I wanted to um, actually have conversations. And um, I 
my initial thought was let's have some sort of card where we could work with the restaurants and give them five, six meals um, in a plan so that they could have access to food. It ended up becoming uh, logistically challenging. Um, And for that reason, we ended up working with shelters and we gave each person we interviewed a $50 gift card. Right now, as I've raised more money with the book, I've actually gone back and some of the people I interviewed, I'm giving um, a monthly stipend, giving them $100 a month to help them uh, pay bills. Um, one of the people who we'll talk about later, um, Rose, mm-hmm. she was the um, the seventh interview, I believe. Seventh, yeah. Um, she actually just got an apartment um, about a week ago, and uh, oh we've been giving gosh. her money. So it's just, just incredible um, how things have turned out. That must make you feel – does it make you feel I, – I, I, a lot of people say, I, and I believe you are always exactly where you're supposed to be, especially when – that moment changes your life or changes the life of someone else. Um, You were put there for a reason. And it was such uh, a normal type of thing that you were doing with your dad. And it's just opened up this whole entire. I found that in so many different ways over the last year. Um, the year three months now. <laughs> yeah. Um, I was at a, uh, we're talking about Duncan. I was at a Duncan with my father um, before one of the alumni events we were doing with the Winifred Kenwright House. Mm-hmm. So we were going, we were picking up donuts to bring with us to give to all the, um, the people there. Okay. And we met with the worker there. We were just having a nice conversation while we were waiting. Um, and it turns out she's been um, assisting the homeless community in Asbury Park for decades she was previously homeless herself her name is cherry um elliot mm-hmm. and we w- ended up working with her to do our winter clothing distributions uh for the next however many months and uh, she's become a, a huge help in the project and a huge friend and it was just a chance encounter where we were at a yeah a duncan and just we're talking to the person behind the counter so <clears throat> tell me a little bit are there is there a common thread in the stories or is every story um, I'm sure every story is unique in its own way but is there a common thread that that kind of binds them so I don't know about a common thread for all of the interviews mm-hmm. but there was one thing that I continued to see being repeated uh, multiple things um, the most strong of which was the idea that people um, who end up becoming homeless usually this happens as a result of not having a safety net Mm. Um, some sort of uh, family or community that can support you when you have a problem. This can be physical, this can be financial, this could be emotional. Um, Within the emotional um, Mm -hmm. sector, which I found to be uh, the strongest connection, when a child is growing up, if their parents don't teach them how to regulate their emotions, how to uh, portray themselves to the world, how to be successful, Mm -hmm. then how are they expected to succeed? Right. And if the parents themselves don't have these skills, mm-hmm. then they can't teach their um, their children that. And yes. you have to get this ability in psychology. It's called uh, self-regulation. Mm-hmm. You have to learn this ability from your community or from your parents or from school or uh, through some sort of trusted adult. Otherwise, it can be very difficult to learn it later in life. It creates was, a cycle. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There yeah. was one person who I interviewed um, his name's name was uh, or is James Lay, mm-hmm. and he told me at the end of the interview, "I feel like I have the emotions of a teenager." And how old was he? Um, thirty-five. Yeah, thirty-five. Yeah. So I know that I've also read, and I mean, I myself have have uh, been in therapy. Mm-hmm. Um, that 
when a person has a traumatic experience um, that they cannot move past, that their emotional growth stops at that age. And I do believe that to a certain extent. Uh, I don't believe it. I don't believe it overall, but there are certain parts of you certainly that get stuck at that age. And is is that kind of what you're talking about? Like, Sometimes. Yeah. yeah. And, and did you see that in the people that you interviewed? Specifically with James, he had a very traumatic incident um, in, when he was in his 20s mm-hmm. um, that ended up causing his um, eventual descent into homelessness. Right. He had... Um, I really don't know how to describe it. It's hard to put into words, but three just terrible events right mm-hmm. one after the other. Mm-hmm. First, um, he was at a bar. He didn't drink until he was um, uh, legal and right. it was never a problem. He was mm-hmm. only a social drinker. He was at a bar with his friends. Someone came up to him, asked for a cigarette. He gave them one. While he was in his pocket getting it, they um, uppercutted him. Mm-hmm. Sorry. Yeah, they uppercut yeah, uppercut him. him. Um, knocked him out. His jar was destroyed. He Mm. managed to make it home. He doesn't remember how he got home, but he was rushed to the emergency room and they ended up giving him morphine for the pain while his jaw recovered. It was a terrible injury. Mm -hmm. And he was um, out of the workforce for all those months. He had to um, not quit his job, but get uh, paid leave. Disability? I don't know. I forget the words. But um, while he was um, at his house and bed rest, whatever, recovering, his um his younger brother got into a terrible car crash, hmm. um, which he partially felt to blame for. He was supposed to do the drive. He didn't give me the details, but mm-hmm. for whatever reason, there was a fight, and his brother ended up driving to Pennsylvania, and um, he died in the car crash on the way there. Oh, my gosh. So he felt very much to blame. He fell into a deep depression and um, wasn't getting out of bed. And right. at the same time, Hurricane Sandy happened. Him and his mother um, and his sister lost their apartment. It was just... One after the other, and he eventually ended up on the streets. And so was this was a young man years. who was living a, a very normal, regular life. Yeah, he was working at a very food normal, restaurant. regular family. Um, was, by all accounts, just living a, a good life. Yeah. And circumstances just he spiraled. Yeah. And then found himself homeless. But even before then, the the thing that I'm talking about with the threat is that he grew up with a uh, somewhat negligent father. His father worked and supported the family, but wasn't really there emotionally. Yeah. And his mother um, suffered from agoraphobia. Oh, fear oh. Of, um, going too far from home. Yes. So they would never go past the uh, like supermarket, he said, the mall. And um, because of these mental health issues in his family and his father not being around to teach him, mm-hmm. he never really learned how to self-regulate. So when he had these problems... He didn't know how to deal with them within himself. His emotions right. got the best of him. And <laughs> two, three extremely difficult problems for anyone to deal with, but especially yes. someone who wasn't equipped mm-hmm. to deal with problems of this scale. Right. And I think most people would assume incorrectly that homelessness is caused by alcoholism, by drug addiction, by people who just have made poor choices and go down a very dark path. But your book is kind of bringing to light that that's, although although people, yes, those are circ- circumstances in people's but lives. Those are symptoms of an those issue. Are, thank you. They're not the issue, which is the main point I'm trying to point out. Yes, thank you. And on top of that, 
calling these circumstances the main issue is actually having negative ramifications of the way we fight homelessness. Yes. yes. So many um, agencies, community-based, faith-based, government, are focused so much on people who struggle with mental health problems or drug addictions that people who don't have these problems, of the three people I interviewed who didn't have any drugs in their life, no alcohol problems, they were the people not being helped. Right. Because no organizations Mm -hmm. are specifically for people who don't have these problems. There was nothing for them. Most of the organizations that that give housing are either originally rehabs Mm-hmm. or psychiatric wards or some sort of program that starts talking about mental health and drugs and then eventually transitions into housing. So the five people who I interviewed first, that was at an HIV-positive men's homelessness shelter. Mm-hmm. So mostly people who got HIV from dirty needles right. and were now being housed as a result and had access to um, all these different resources. Right. The three people who I interviewed at the end who didn't have any of these problems were the people who were living in their cars or on the streets and were going to um, an organization in Red Bank called um, Lunch Break mm-hmm. every day for breakfast and lunch because there's no other organization there's nothing else. Them. There's nothing else out there. And Lunch Break works very hard to try to find these people all of the available resources and they were struggling. Rose, who I uh, mentioned a little earlier, who just got an apartment. Mm-hmm. She was, um, I can't remember, but she was in her late 80s. She's currently in her late 80s. She worked her entire life till she retired when her husband passed. She had two children. She supported them. Her son took over the family, and Mm -hmm. he just wasn't making enough to support their family. She was on Social Security, and he was working every day doing pavement, Right. and they just could not afford rent in New Jersey. Which is sky high. They had a small incident with um, bed bugs that the landlord blamed on them. Rose said the apartment next door had bed bugs. It wasn't us. Right. They kicked her out of her apartment. Credit was shot. They moved into a motel, spent many years there before they couldn't even afford the motel. And then they were living on the streets. Rose was living on her car, in her car. At 80 years old. 80 years old. At and her son was old. squatting somewhere just trying to make it by while also working and they just couldn't do it. So right now we're giving her $100 a month trying to help, and she's um, in an apartment, and we're still in touch with her, and she's doing great. Is her her son in the apartment with her? I don't know yet. Oh, okay. I didn't have a chance to talk to her, but yeah. um, someone sent me a text letting me know just, uh, it was actually Friday. Friday. Last week, Friday. I cannot. That's when she got an apartment. So it's been, I think she was on the street for almost four to five months. I I cannot even fathom that a woman of 80 years old and her son, you know, her son is not in his 30s. He's he's an older man. He's probably closer to my age. Um, And I'm 59. So my mom was 78. So certainly he's he's somewhere maybe in his 40s or 50s. Um, I can't even fathom that someone someone that age cannot get the appropriate help needed, which you know, to me that's a whole another topic with how we treat our elderly in this country. Um, we don't treat them well at all. Um, but you have me a little speechless right now. I'm sorry. That's not easy to do because I'm just imagining this poor woman in her 80s living in a car and her son. The most amazing thing about 
Rose's interview specifically was how appreciative she was of everything she had. She yes. was the most positive person I've ever met. Yes. So appreciative for every single thing, just us being there. She was so happy. She gave us hugs and she didn't want to reminisce on what had gone wrong because she knew that she had made the right decision at every point in her life. She had prioritized her son and yes. giving him uh, the life that she wants for him yes. over personal finances. She could have just ignored him and had enough to survive on her own, but she prioritized her family and that's where it led her. She wasn't able to look back and identify anything that went wrong because nothing had. It was just a slow, steady decline. Yes. And a slow, steady, well, just, you know what? Sometimes world's circumstances collide and, and it's the perfect storm in someone's life. And it can, it can shatter it. And most people don't even take that into consideration. Um, you and I briefly spoke about a time when I had to leave a situation that I was in. And had I not had family, I, I don't know where I would have gone because uh, the people that I thought were my friends didn't want to take me in because I was coming from an abusive relationship and they were afraid of him and they had kids and they didn't want to get caught up in that, which I understood. But then the other part of me was like, if you don't help me, he could kill me. Um, financially, he had, he had taken everything from me. Um, just you know, emotionally, physically, every type of abuse. And had I not had family to take me in, I don't know where I would have gone so because scary. I didn't have the money anymore. I had no money. I, I and, and here I was, a woman whose daughter was in college, who was now a captain in the Army JAG Corps, who had owned a home in Freehold, New Jersey, who had been a PTO mom and a PTO president, who owned her own business at one point, who had really worked very hard coming out of a life of trauma, starting to build a good life, made one wrong turn, and my whole entire life collapsed in, in, in a matter of months um, because I just finally had reached a point that I, I need to get out of this because I really do think he's going to escalate and kill me. And... The pain and the shame that you feel, even knowing this, but this isn't my fault. Like, you know, I could pretend and I could stay in this, but eventually he's going to take both of us down, you know, because he was gambling and, and he was doing whatever it was that he was doing. So this really hits me on a level of, I used to joke with my friends, you know, I'm when I finally was able after two years to afford to move in with two other women, I used to joke that I was 53 years old living in my own sorority with $30 in the bank. And my friends would look at me and say, don't say that about yourself. And I would look at them and say, don't say that about myself. I'm just happy that I have a roof over my head. I'm just happy that like I'm living with these two women who ended up being lovely. They were looking for a roommate. I found out just by chance and I was just happy. I didn't care about anything. You know, no, I can't go out here. I can't go out for a drink. I can't go out with my friends. But you know what? I have my car. I'm paying my bills. And I have a bed. And I don't have to wake up every day with my dukes up. That's what I used to say, like, dukes up, because I never knew what the day was going to bring. So to know that this woman at 80 
had, you know, I, I relate to that. It, it's, it's a true, it's an issue, it's a fear that, that people live with when they can't afford, they either can't afford their living situation because um, financially it's too much for them, or they're trying to leave a situation that's not healthy for them, and they just have to pick up and run. You know, it, it's, it's such a stigma, but now to even hear on top of that, that there isn't even proper help out there for them. There isn't even proper help out there for them to be able to say, I can rest my head for six months until I can get on my feet. Um, it, just, it just hits me hard in, in a lot of different ways because I have discussed um, wanting to open a community where people could come and live for a year rent-free. And all they had to do was go to work and save their money, or if they had to go back to school, if they wanted to go back to school, maintain at least to be average, and if you have to go to school for a year and a half, then when that year is over, if you've maintained that be average, then you can have another year free. To get on your feet, people are desperate. And here you are at 17 years old and you see that. I mean, your parents must be over the moon proud of you. Tell me a little bit about your life because I think that's even more fascinating. Yeah, um, so my parents have sort of ingrained in me and everyone else in my family just a, a complete focus on community service from a young age. Um, we've always been volunteering. We started off uh, working with our local hospice, Grace Hospitalities. Okay. Um, we go every Friday, me, my dad, my sister. It's just incredible experience. Um, we're in the health, um, the health, um, so why, why am I saying help? Memory care unit. Memory God, care. Talk. <laughs> what? That's okay. Listen, I say shout it out. <laughs> but it's just incredible. We get to speak with uh, seniors and learn about their lives and uh, bond. And we also work with uh, a few other organizations. There's an organization in my community called uh, Miss Eskeem. Okay. Where um, we deliver prayer books and uh, chairs and tables to houses of mourning. Um, to help with the Jewish uh, morning Shiva process. I was going to say, so you, you're a member of the Jewish community. Yes. Talking with a nice Catholic girl. <laughs> <laughs> so if I ask you questions, I don't want you to think that I'm being disrespectful no, or or I'm, I'm, I'm just uneducated. I just don't really know an awful lot about that. So, But when you said you deliver chairs and tables to houses of mourning, I, I, I assumed it was for people sitting Shiva. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and then I also work with an org another organization in my community called SBH, Sephardic Bikor Cholim. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things they do, which I help with, is uh, delivering um, meals on Friday afternoons to um, housebound um, seniors. So it's for, like um, it's like a Meals on Wheels yeah. for, okay, for Shabbat. Okay. And then also before all holidays, we, uh, we go and stop by and drop off meals. And so would, would you say that, I mean, certainly you've grown up very fortunate in, in a sense that your parents support you, yeah. um, you are supported by a large community around you. Um, how, how, and please do not think I'm being condescending when I use this word, how naive did you really feel once you started interviewing these people? Because at my age, I would be, I would feel very naive. You know, I think, oh, well, I kind of know because I've been in this, but then you hit me with an 80-year-old woman, and I'm like, yeah, really, you don't know anything, Maureen, which is why I love conversations, because you can learn from anyone. Yeah. 
Yeah, um, one of the uh, the first experiences I had, which is when I was going, I was, uh, I think it was actually lunch break, one of my first meetings. Mm-hmm. Someone said, oh, you want to do interviews? We have someone who I think would be amazing you could talk to. And I asked for their phone number. Right. I didn't even consider that someone wouldn't have a phone number. Asking right. for someone who's homeless. I just asked for his phone number without thinking. And they're like, he doesn't have a phone number. And I just felt so dumb. I just yeah. hadn't even considered that. You know what? Do you feel dumb or do in that mo- in that moment? I think if you're... I think if you think if if you're a person who can grasp the concepts, then you go from feeling very uneducated to feeling very blessed and grateful, yeah. because you realize there really isn't a lot that we need in this life to be happy. Yeah. I, you know, I I joke with my friends that I, you know, I I will walk into their closets and I just kind of look around and I'm like, oh, my nerves. This is like a department store or. You know, I'll joke that I think the last time you saw me, I was sit, I was wearing the sweater because I realized like I don't I don't need a lot to I don't need a lot of clothes, I don't need a lot of, of anything. Mm-hmm. You know, I think I I think I own five pocketbooks that I that I you know for summer, winter, fall, and and it's just to me, it, it really doesn't take a lot. You don't need a lot yeah. in this world to be able to be happy and be able to just, you know, get by every day. But but it humbles you when even for someone like me who doesn't have an awful lot, like I, I have a lot in, I am wealthy in friendships, I'm wealthy in family, I'm wealthy in being able to pursue some of my dreams and having the support of, of amazing friends, family, and extended friends and family. Um, but it's humbling 100%. to understand that I'm a thousand times luckier simply because I have a cell phone and people can get in touch with me. Yeah. You know, that if that doesn't humble you, then, then I don't think anything will. If, if it doesn't humble you to think that an 80-year-old woman has to live, in a, I'm never going to get over that. You know that. I'm never going to get over that. It's impossible. I go in and I talk to, to students about a lot of things, and somehow I'm going to be able to, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to bring your book into the schools. I, I'm serious because I meet with guidance counselors. I meet with people who make decisions about who comes in and talks about things. And I, I oh, my gosh. Like, kids need to hear this. Kids need to hear this. Adults need to hear this. They need to understand we've, we've lost our sense of, of um, our sense of humility in some ways, but also in, in the blessings that we just have every single day yeah. in, in the smallest moments. And, and the, here's this woman grateful, like, I'm not going to live in what I was lacking. I'm lacking nothing. Now I'm happy to have an she apartment. She the happiest person I've ever met when she was living in her truck, sitting in a place, getting a free lunch. Mm. Because she couldn't afford it. Because she couldn't the afford it. The happiest person I've ever met. So lunch break. Lunch break, you said, is yeah. in Red Bank. Like, I really want to highlight some. I want you to tell me about some of these organizations because people, I, you know, maybe people do know about them. But I, I don't know that anybody in my circles. And, and I, I, you know, I run in a very, a very loving. But, you know, we're all normal, average people. And. And there are always people looking to help. There are always people saying, I wish I could find a place. And it seems like when you're thinking about it, you can't find one. 
and then off the cuff or on a podcast, you can. So tell me a little bit about Lunch Break. How did you, did you find them online? Did you? Yeah, so I've heard a lot about them. I originally found them online, but I continued with every organization, every person I met. Do you know Lunch Break? Do you know Lunch Break? Um, I met with Kevin McGee there. He's mm-hmm. the director of operations, and he's just amazing. Mm-hmm. Um, he's been incredibly helpful with the project, and they do so much in the community. Right. They have um, meals for um, breakfast and lunch okay. every weekday. Mm-hmm. And um, they have all these different services. They have different drives for, like, prom dresses and back to school oh, and things like that. They have um, programs. They have, I think it's called Clara's Closet. They're, yes. They, um so that's lunch break. Okay. They have um, clothing. They have just everything. I did a um, prom dress through. drive um, for after Sandy. Mm-hmm. I did my own. I just said, you know, and I held it in um, Asbury Park in a place right on the boardwalk. And um, so many people, so many people. I had, I had so many dresses. I, I seriously didn't know what to do about them. But because it was just me, like, a, a few girls came and and they got beautiful gowns, but um, I heard about these other organizations that I said, okay, then I'm just gonna send I'm gonna send the gowns to them, and I think that was one of them. Yeah. I think someone picked them or, or someone brought them there for me and said, oh, I know a place and um, brought them there for me. So I didn't realize that that was lunch break. Yeah, yeah okay. they're amazing. They also have um, a bunch of programs for uh, career development, teaching people basic skills about how to be in the workforce and um, just trying to get people back into the workforce from the streets. Right. Um, They just have so many programs. Mm -hmm. Did you meet a lot of children? Or did you see a lot of children? No. No. No, I was... um, no, I didn't meet with any uh, children experiencing homelessness. Okay. Um, I did try to work with an organization um, called... Um, it'll come to me later. Mm-hmm. Um, but they work with, they have a house for uh, teens experiencing uh, homelessness. Really? Um, but it didn't end up working out. It didn't end up working out with you interviewing yeah, yeah, yeah. them? With it, oh, yeah, with okay. interviews. I thought you meant with the house. I was no. like, did they shut the house down? No, okay. no. I uh, I met with someone there and I ended up emailing him, whatever, but he, uh, it didn't really work out. I tried to get in contact with them. There's a few organizations that that happened with, but I, I was able to uh, work with a few organizations to have interviews. Okay. And now what, like, oh, my God, there's so many questions I want to ask you. Um, what do the people in your community think about this? I've had almost unilateral support. Everyone's I was going to say, because it, so it does sound like you have a very close community. Yeah. It, it sounds like you, you're all of the same mindset and uh, supportive of one another. So what did your friends and, I mean, did they think, oh, my gosh, what are you doing? Like, I, I'm going, and I'm going to say it, you know, uh, there would be a lot of people out there, especially adults, who would think, you know, I'm nervous for you. I'm, yeah. You know, I, I So safety was a big priority of ours. That's yeah. why we, um, we ended up working with shelters instead of just going out to the streets and trying to find people. Yes. So we could uh, ensure safety that way. Yes. Um, but in terms of friends, everyone was just extremely supportive, amazing. Keep Did it your up. dad come with you? Did your mom yes, and dad yes. come with you to yes, see everything? Yes, my dad came with me um, for all the interviews and for all the distributions. And what did the people that you were speaking to think about what you were trying to do? Because so, and we do have to say this: you're not making any money off this book. No, no. Every penny. Ev- I want everybody out there to listen to me. Every single book that is sold 
every penny that is a profit, because it does cost money to, you know, print on demand and all those things, goes to homelessness. Yes, None of the money is going in your pocket. donations and everything. 17 years old, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, everybody out there who's listening to me, 17 years old, has written a book, and every bit of the profit is going to homelessness. People like Rose, who hopefully we'll be able to support with. Uh, to people stipends. like Rose, $100 a month, which probably feels like $1,000 a month to her. Um, I mean, it just, it blows it blows your mind. And that'll be enough to pay for gas if she needs or whatever it is, savings, however she wants to spend it, but that'll help her get through every month. And so as you sell more books, there are more people that you can help? Or do you just right now only work with a certain amount of people that you're giving help to? Like, tell me that. Um, So right now we're just uh, working with Rose. Hopefully we also want to um, support Ruth, who uh, is the seventh interview. Okay. Eighth eighth interview, I apologize. Mm -hmm. Um, And, yeah, uh, we're going to continue doing interviews. This is not the end of of all the operations that I talked about in the book. I'm going to continue doing interviews and hopefully post those on my website, projectunhoused.com. Project Um, projectunhoused.com. No, look, I I really – I feel so strongly about grassroots organizations, and they don't get enough attention. It's very hard – to take away from the the bigger nonprofits and the bigger organizations, which, you know, and I mean this sincerely, God bless them. I'm sure that they help a lot of people, but there are so many grassroots organizations that start like this, and people just don't hear about them enough. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, yes, within your community, but it, 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 it is probably growing very strong, but how much how many more people you could help if it grew out of that. So, and I'm thrilled because we are going to be putting this up three days before the book fair. Uh, We're having a book fair in Ocean Grove, New Jersey, that another passion of mine. Um, I'm hosting a book fair in Ocean Grove, New Jersey at the Jersey Shore Art Center on December 2nd from nine to three. And I, I don't know. I really hope that I, I didn't scare you because I was like, you have to be part of this. <laughs> you have to come and do this. I'm so like, excited. I'm, I'm so thrilled to have someone like – I mean, I'm thrilled to have all the authors. Every, every author I've been in touch with, Just I just feel like, yeah, these, these, these were the people that were supposed to be part of it. But I think I told you, I, I almost felt – when I read your story, I'm like, this is um, – this is someone that's supposed to be at the book fair. This is two people like that have come to me. I, I just interviewed another woman, and I thought, I have to get in touch with this woman. She's going to think I'm crazy, but I have to get in touch with her and see if she would want to join us. Like, I am so excited, and I really want to um, see if maybe, and, and I know it's at a later date right now, but um, if we can maybe get, like, um, a contribution jar going so that That's you can, amazing. you know, that that we can collect money for that and kind of, you know, help women like Rose and Ruth and, and anybody else that might come up. And um, I know a lot of people who like to help people. So I love to lo- I love to run little raffles and 50-50s and people will always give when they know it's for a great cause. So, you know, I'm just saying, Zach. 
might try to pull you a little bit into the Christian community. Amazing. <laughs> Just come on in. Um, but I do. I have a, I have a base of really amazing friends mm-hmm. who have done things. And like, like you said, I don't think there's anyone who doesn't like to help people. No, there isn't. In my experience, we gain so much more than we give when we're volunteering and helping others. I agree with you. I agree with you. And it just, it makes you feel so good. It's especially like when you are looking in the eye of someone that you are helping right in that moment, it it really does make you feel like this, this really truly is my purpose. And... There are so many different people who need help for so many different reasons. You know, people say, oh, there's a million causes out there. Yeah, that's true. But, you know, we can't lose sight of our humanity. You know, we mm-hmm. can't lose sight of the fact that there are an awful lot of people out there who who just truly, their lives are depending on the kindness of strangers that are just giving them a moment to sit and talk and tell their story, too, so that they, they can get to know them better. Um I do feel that, and I've said this all along, trauma, when people experience trauma at a young age, it is a catalyst for drug abuse. It is a catalyst for alcoholism. It it will, um, you know, trauma brain is a real thing. Yeah. Your brain is different. Um, and I know that because I've had MRIs and I've had doctors come in and look at me and say, not knowing anything about my past and say, you know, we don't know what's going on, but you have this and you have this and you have this. And this is well before they started to document that this was a thing. So um, it, I can see how it could lead t- to mental illness for some people. But those aren't the only people that are homeless. People like me and you just fall through the cracks. They don't fall have through the cracks. people supporting them when they come on hard times. And because they don't have all those other um, issues they're they're really the lost ones and 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 once you get into that situation where you miss a credit card payment Mm -hmm. or um rent for a month it's just a mess it's It's impossible to get out it's those credit scores that like you feel like those those agencies are just ready to like put that red flag up and you think man like i've worked so hard my whole life just to have a good life and be a a good person and one moment can just destroy that Losing so an example that I was told pretty early on that really stuck with me is that a family that mm-hmm. is barely scraping by, mm-hmm. say just one month, they have damage to their car. They need to repair their car. Yep. If they don't have the money to do that, they might sacrifice being able to eat for that month. They might not have enough food. Mm-hmm. But if they don't repair their car, then they can't go to work. Then right. they don't have any money coming in the next month. It's just What a choice. It's a mess. Right. And that small thing could just be the catalyst that drives them into, in, them into homelessness. Into homelessness. They can't go to work. They can't pay their rent. They can't afford anything. And that could just uh, snowball. But just that small amount mm-hmm. to help them um, fix up their car and allow them to pay back over however many months, if they're making a little bit extra, they'll save up, pay it back. Yeah. And then they're fine. They'll continue going on as they were before. But the amount of effort it takes after they uh, they lose their job, after they lose their lose their house, after they have no more income, they're living on the street is so 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 much more than it was originally. Right. And that's why so many organizations focus on pre-homelessness versus helping the homeless. 
it's so much easier to prevent it and so much more effective. But once people is it easy homeless, to prevent it? It's easier. It's easier. It's more cost effective. It's harder to recognize these situations though, because people are thrown into these situations not expecting they would need something like that. Okay, so this is interesting. Explain agencies that concentrate on pre-homelessness. I don't even know if I've known this. Yeah, so there's an organization called Interfaith Neighbors okay. in uh, Asbury Park, mm -hmm. and they mostly work with the pre-homeless. So they find families who are struggling, and they do uh, programs giving them houses. Giving, they have all these um, these rules. Kids have to do work. It's sort of like a Habitats for Humanity type. Mm -hmm. They have a similar uh, arrangement, and they give people the skills they need to find employment, etc. And they support them. And so they don't eventually. fall through the cracks. They, so don't, they don't fall, fall into homelessness. The they catch them right before and give them what they need to succeed. How do they find out about them? Do people? I mean, I or is it know. just mainly? I, it could be people know a about them. They're pretty big organization in Asbury Park. What is the name of it again? Um, Interfaith Neighbors. Interfaith Neighbors. They start off as a coalition of churches in Asbury Park. So, wow. Um, that's how they, I guess, originally networked. But they're they're a big organization now. Um, you might know them by the Kula Farms. It's no. a hydroponic farm where um, people who need the money can work and they learn agriculture experience and they also have access to um, healthy food. They uh, give them the food. Um, trying to combat malnutrition in um, people who are food insecure. Yeah. Giving fresh food and not having um, fast food or whatever. See, this is the news that I feel like we need to hear about. These are the stories that should be on, on the nightly news instead of the hopelessness that I feel like the media just can constantly shoves in our face. And, and I'm not saying that it's not important, but, like, you know, there's no balance. Yeah. And I feel like this is the balance. I'm, I'm 59 years old, and here is a 17-year-old young man teaching me about things that I don't, I'm not even aware are out there. And this is why conversations are so important. It's so important to get to know the person that you're sitting next to that is doing something. It's important to ask questions or show some interest and say, hey, you know, what is that? Or what does that mean? Or what are you doing? Or what were you, you know... So I, oh, I'm so excited. I'm even more excited now that you're going to be part of the book fair. I'm so excited and as well. Like I said, this is going to air one, two, three days before the book fair. So I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna hawk it again. It's at the Jersey Shore Arts Center from 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. on Saturday, December 2nd. Uh, the Writers Block Holiday Holiday Book Fair. I hope you will join us. I hope you will come and meet this amazing young man purchase his book you will be helping you'll be helping so many people um and you'll really be making a big difference in the world and thank yeah. you i'm really so proud to be sitting My next pleasure. to you like I'm, I'm having that mommy vibe although i could be your grandmother so okay i'll have the grandma vibe but <laughs> i'm just you know it's such a such a pleasure to meet you and i love what you're doing Thank you. I Thank also just you. want to say um, it's all, the book is also available on Amazon if anyone would like to purchase it as Project Unhoused. Mm -hmm. um, and then also, if you already have the book, feel free to just come. I could sign it at uh, the event. Yes, we have some. We do have some authors that um, they were like, well, some people have bought my book. I said, turn it into a book signing. Turn it like this is this is the community I'm trying to build so that books like this, books that we write can get out there. And, and in your case, it's, it's an amazing story, but it's also an education. You know, I mean, 
How could you go wrong with that? And mm-hmm. and then on top of that, you're doing something good for the community, for people that are in serious need of help. So um, you just made me feel so good about doing this book fair. Let me tell you, I feel like thank you, thank you. <laughs> for more than one reason. So thank you again. It's Project Unhoused. Please, please, please um, come come to the book fair and buy it at the book fair. Um, come and see our other authors as well because they're amazing. And we're definitely going to have you back if, if you're right. up to it. I would love I'm to talk to. to your dad, too, like about sure. getting the whole parent perspective and um, just having that conversation, too. It's amazing. Thank you so much. It was a pleasure meeting you. Thank you so much. All right, everybody. Good night. Good night.